0: Today on CityCast Chicago, Governor J.B. Pritzker is taking a victory lap around the James R. Thompson Center. Last December, Pritzker sold the building in the heart of the loop after years of disrepair and negligence by the state. Now...
1: We are coming together yet again, this time to share a few very exciting developments, the most important of which is the announcement of this building's future occupant, Google.
0: The Thompson Center is not just some office building. It's an architectural flashpoint. Some hate the spaceship-like design. Others love it.
2: That atrium space inside is still spectacular. And the building at night when it's lit up is still one of the most stunning uh, postmodern and contemporary buildings in America.
0: Sun-Times architecture critic Lee Bay tells us about the importance of the Thompson Center to Chicago's skyline, but also to Chicagoans it's thursday july 28th i'm carrie shepherd in for jacoby cochran and this is citycast chicago The Thompson Center opened in 1985 as an office building for state employees. It encompasses an entire block and really serves as a center point for the loop for many reasons. Its stark design of slanted glass, and 80s color palette of salmon and blue. It has a food court and several CTA lines, making it a hub for downtown office workers. Former Governor Thompson selected architect Helmut Jahn to design the building because of Jahn's reputation as an innovative designer. Jan was killed last May in a bike collision. After the tragic news, Jacoby talked to Lee Bay.
1: If you could describe the Thompson Center for me, like the first time you saw it um, and, and how you felt watching it over the years, um, I'd love to get that sort of first person, that POV.
2: First time I saw it, I took a trip downtown on the L to see it. Uh, and I wasn't that much into architecture, but this building I had to see. And, you know, it looks like a, like a glass like a Fabergé egg, almost made of glass, that just is just there, and and just the the difference between the neoclassical daily uh, the city hall, uh, you know, which is like a traditional government building, and then the modernist uh, glassy skyscraper of the Daily Center, and then this building, um, it was just incredible to see um, that metamorphosis in government buildings uh, t- taking place there, and and watching it over the years, um, you know, you you just sort of see it as this missed opportunity. It, it's fantastic as it is, it's still this sort of missed opportunity and that because the state never really taken care of it the right way uh, that it just, it could have been a great, great building. And it's seen as this kind of oddball building, let's tear it down, let's
1: blow it up from outer space kind of a deal when, when it didn't have to be. You're an author, you're a writer, you're Chicagoan, what do you think of when you think about the Thompson Center?
2: I, I think of two things. One is, so, you know, I'm I'm an old head, so I was 22 <laughs> when the building was about 20, oh, maybe a little bit younger, 20 or 21 when the building was completed. And, you know, and this, you know, when it opened, you know, for many people, this was spectacular. I mean, Chicago had never seen anything like, anything like this. You know, we were still building, you know, steel and glass boxes. Uh, like the Daily Center, you know, uh, is in 65. We were still building those in, in 75 and 85. And this building comes along, breaks forms, uh, has a, that the space on the inside. We see the elevators going up and down. And, you know, this comes along, you know, 1980s, you know, in 1980s. And there was a sense that, you know, Chicago had kind of lost its groove architecturally, right? That it, it, it was beginning to lose out to, at the time, places in the Middle East and, and emer- re-emerging countries of Europe. And this was a way to put us, and this building kind of put us back back on the map. The, the coolest thing was, is um, there's there's this movie, Running Scared, uh, with uh, uh, Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. Uh, it it sort it, it of got the success that Lethal Weapon got, right? But it was filmed in Chicago, and you know you're watching this movie downtown at the Old United Artists or whatever movie theater, and. When the bad guys at the end of the movie, Jimmy Smith is one of them, they drive their car down the L tracks and takes forever to explain how that happened. But the showdown is in the state of Illinois building, which was just open and right around the corner from where you're watching the movie. Good night, suckers. And, and I remember watching it, and it's the, the crowd just erupts, right? This is the top. One. I hit that man with every shot. You know, finally, this is just frightening. In other words, you have hit everybody that you've ever shot at. No, I haven't hit everybody, but I hit him. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Great. This is just great. But just you the impacts. That's right? the first half. And of course, the second half is <laughs> one the legacy that we kind of all know, which is the, the problems that the building had mm-hmm. physically that, you know, that creates the situation we have today.
1: Yeah, very early on, I believe they had to reinvest money into the building. Um, but I also read that a lot of it was delayed maintenance. Can you tell me why has the building been such a controversial piece of work? First of all, we never got the building that Helmet designed. We
2: got 75 percent of it, right? You know, it was it was cut back into design because of expense. Then, it, you know, it was the heating and, and air conditioning problems um, and then. Uh, for the the following thirty years, thirty five years, whatever, the state never put money into the building that it that it should have to keep it up. So it got a, you know, it got a Rolls Royce of sorts, but you can't take care of it like you take care of before, right? I mean, you got to keep the thing serviced. You got to take care, you know. And it never really happened that way. So as a result, we never got the building that he designed, and we never even got to keep the building that he did design because it's been crumbling away ever
1: since. Oh wow, I hear that.
2: But even then, that that atrium space inside is still spectacular. And the building at night, when it's lit up, is still one of the most stunning uh, postmodern and contemporary buildings in America, I think.
1: What was Helmut's input on the building over the years? Did he, you know participate in preservation efforts? You know, how did he feel about the way the building was treated?
2: You know, he um, often spoke, it was kind of hot and cold. Sometimes it was like, uh, you know, he didn't want to talk about it. And the other times he was effusive about it, um, that he really wanted the building preserved. He really wanted to play a role in preserving the building, particularly when under uh, Bruce Rauner, and I think even under Blagojevich before Rauner, that's when the rumblings first began about selling the building. Um, you know, so encouraging them and suggesting other schemes for the building to, to preserve it, um, uh, you know, was something something that he did. But, you know, but, but like many of us, you know, he stood by and shook his fist at the maintenance.
1: You know, it's like, why don't they take care of this building? Um, and um, which is which is a shame. You'll see Helmut Yann influence all around you. And this word that often gets thrown out is postmodernism. I study philosophy and that word and its meaning is debated amongst philosophers, what does that mean in architecture and how can you see his influence across the city of Chicago? Postmodernism
2: is the architecture that came after modernism and, and really came as a, re, as a reaction to modernism. As I mentioned earlier, you know, steel and glass boxes, like the things that Mies van der Rohe designed and SOM and others, you know, this was really radical and cutting edge architecture, but by 1970, uh, you know, anybody could make a cheap knockoff and there was so many of them. Uh, architecture began to respond to say, you know, enough, enough. So the idea was to uh, rather when modernism um, did away with historical um, uh, precedent and, and you know, and classical design and that kind of stuff, um, uh, postmodernism was a way to get back to that. So but as a result, you have buildings within postmodernism, while, you know, why all modernist buildings kind of they don't look alike, you can see the relationship between them. Postmodernism buildings. I mean, if you know the NBC Tower here in Chicago, it looks like Rockefeller Center a little bit. That's a postmodernist building, that's a building that looks directly to the past, right? Looks like a 1930s skyscraper. But then you've got Helmut Jahn's building, which looks to the future, and it only vaguely references classical detailing. Yeah. And that that atrium is like the space under a dome, you know, in a traditional governmental building. Um, the red, white, and blue is salmon, and you know it's it's the same kind mm-hmm. of color scheme, but it's not white, quite red, white, and blue. It's kind of salmon and other colors that are near red, white, and blue. I mean, so it, it, it so there are historical references. You can take them literally in postmodernism, or you can make them as vague as
1: possible uh,
2: uh, in postmodernism.
1: Lee, you wrote the book "The Overlooked Architecture of Chicago South Side." Why are you in love with? You know the chicago cityscape how it looks how it's been built
2: you know as a as a native uh you know it's it's a fascinating story i mean i mean i am you know one of thousands not you know uh you know hundreds of thousands of black you know black kids rode around in the back of their parents car and and marveled at the way the city uh revealed itself to you you know, you know bungalows churches you know all, all that kind of stuff and then you 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 get to a point when you're an adult and you realize that all the great architecture that you saw if you were a south sider or a west sider never somehow found its way into newspapers, into architectural books, and that kind of thing. So it so the idea is to sort of show people, uh, you know, what's what's there, and 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 what's interesting is that you find out that the story of the buildings and the story of the people, of what happened to the buildings and how the buildings are not respected, and the story of the people who live in these communities, well, I think civically. Uh, you know, as Southsiders and Westsiders are, have not been respected, that, that, there's a, that there's a link
1: between the two. Lee Bay, thank you for joining us. I know you're out, uh, kind of moving around at the moment, but I appreciate you taking time to talk architecture and the legacy of some amazing Chicago artists with us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Lee joins a vocal group of preservationists who want to see the integrity of the design maintained. One of those groups, Preservation Futures, has helped lead the effort to get the Thompson Center on the National Register of Historic Places. It's currently under review. Here's what developer Michael Reschke and Google's Karen Sauter said Wednesday.
1: The Thompson Center is unlike no other office building in the country. We are extremely proud to preserve this structure and bring the building into the 21st century.
0: We look forward to working with the Prime Group and Capri to thoughtfully update this building to our high sustainability standards while respecting its iconic design. They promised energy-efficient glass and an improved heating and cooling system. That was one of the major complaints of people who worked at the Thompson Center. It got way too hot or way too cold. We asked the developers, Prime Group, how they plan to maintain Helmut Jahn's design with the renovations. They said a spokesperson who could answer that question was not available for comment. And some other news before we let you go. Lake County prosecutors announced Robert Cremo III has been indicted on 117 counts, including 21 counts of first-degree murder in the mass shooting at Highland Park's 4th of July parade. The 21-year-old is charged with killing seven people and injuring dozens of others. The Board of Education has approved a $10.2 million deal with the Chicago police to pay for cops in CPS schools. There are fewer officers in schools than there were a few years ago. More than half have been removed completely. In case you missed it, monarch butterflies are now considered endangered. But we've got some ways to help Illinois State Insect. Yes, we have one of those in our newsletter. Find it at Chicago.CityCast.FM. And of course, some good news before we let you go. You can now get texts from former first lady and Southsider Michelle Obama. Kinda. It's like a marketing-based text system. There's a link in our newsletter for that too and also a place where you can tell us which famous Chicagoan you would want to get texts from. I'm going with Mr. T. He's from here. And I think he still lives here, part-time. That's it for us today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. I pity the fool. That doesn't sound as cool as when, when Mr. T says it. What would sound as cool... I mean, you just, you can't ever sound as cool as Mr. T. Okay.